gentlemen to the 13th floor where the furniture isn't always the best but the views are amazing i'm your moderator b jones and i'm joined this week by my man arthur Faison. what's going on oh hey <laughs> uh, i was about to say ac Faison, man i was yeah, i wasn't ready for the full <laughs> name this week but it's cool uh hey what's going on uh it is um cold today for those who listen in northeast it was freezing rain snow um, this chaos, and it's going to go all the way until about three o'clock this morning, which means that tomorrow is a snow day. You think but, so? Because I didn't get that snow day today. Well, and, I'm uh, taking it a snow day, <laughs> so <laughs> it will be one. It pays to be the boss, right? <laughs> Mike D, what's happening, man? Where you go? You might want to come off of you. Oh, there, there we go. Yeah, it is, it, is, it, is, it, is, it is amazing the concept of snow day from East Coast to Midwest. <laughs> so uh, what is a snow day here is get up and go to school. <laughs> and, and, uh, ain't that right, Carol? That is absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on, Carol? How you doing up there in the shy? Uh I'm good, man. We had a snowstorm last night. It wasn't anything serious. Got more snow coming at the end of the week. But uh, other than that, listen, man, I'm I'm just happy and excited to be here and happy that uh, we're going to fill some gaps with some folks today. So, mm -hmm. yes, that is the goal, man. Uh, we got an amazing podcast lined up for you, man. We are going to be dealing with two of my favorite topics, uh, finances and moving our people forward. And to do just that, we brought on Mr. George Clark, who is the CEO of Banneker Financial Services. Mr. Clark uh, has an extensive resume, over 40 years experience in risk management general securities, banking, finance, and all lines of insurance services. Uh, you served as a financial industry regulatory authority and uh, your license in the New York uh, Stock Exchange General Securities Investment uh, Representative, and also served as a past chairman on the DC Board of Real Property Assessments and Appeals. So extensive resume, man. You've been doing a lot in your time as a financial, uh, as just an, a financial guru, an expert of sorts, man. So how do you speak to that level of experience? What has that taught you over the years? Wow. Uh, you were talking about me, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, uh, experience is, uh, is an, an interesting teacher. And, uh, you know, I've had the uh, opportunity of traveling not only around the U.S., but outside of the U.S., I've been to over about maybe 30 countries. And uh, what that does is give you a great perspective on, you know, both economics and social, uh, the social climate. And uh, so it wears on you because sometimes the more you know, the more frustrating it becomes. Um, you know, over the years, uh, you get to see a lot of the uh, issues that are facing our community. And in that respect, uh, you become hopeful, but you also realize that uh, there are a lot of challenges that remain, and they have been with us, and they continue to be with us. So, uh, 
the object of that is, is to find solutions, find ways to work together, find ways to move beyond where we are at this point. Got you. And speaking to that a little bit, man, we um, one of the things we talked about a couple podcasts ago uh, was building wealth in our community. We took it from an, a an avenue of the black business and supporting our black businesses. And I understand you had an opportunity to listen to that episode. And there was a little bit of a gap that we missed in there. And it was um, along the lines of financial investments. You and I spoke a little bit about that. So I want you to kind of fill that gap for our listeners this evening. When it comes to building wealth in our community, how do we get to the point where we're making it hit Wall Street, as you explained to me? Yeah, moving beyond uh, where we are, uh, one of the chief problems is that we are facing uh, mainly a gap in our financial money cycle. You know, there's like a wheel where money circulates through our community and then leaves. Uh, I, I usually use the example of uh, uh, what happens to our dollar. Um, we, uh, one good example is buying a home. You know, your mortgage is usually your largest investment that you'll ever make, um, or single investment you'll ever make. And uh, what happens is you will go to your bank and uh, borrow money uh, for a mortgage. Now, in turn, the bank takes your uh, uh, mortgage and uh, it sells that mortgage to uh, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, uh, big banks like Chase, J.P. Morgan Chase. And uh, in turn, I'm, I'm explaining the wheel. Uh, in turn, uh, the uh, J.P. Morgan Chases and the Fannie Mae's and Freddie Macs, they take that mortgage and they sell it to Wall Street. And then Wall Street turns around and uh, sell, resells those packaged mortgages to uh, insurance companies and pension funds. And then the pension funds, uh, they go to the asset managers and get their money. In turn, the asset managers get their money from who? You. You put your money in your pension funds and insurance uh, companies, and they're the ones that are loaning the money to Wall Street, who in turn is loaning the money to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, and uh, Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae are loaning it to your bank. Now, it's specifically your black banks have to go through this process. But the interesting thing is that, as you will note, the money wheel started with you. And so as you go around, and I, I don't know if you guys might be able to see this, I don't know what, uh, yep, we can see it. Yeah, but that wheel, what it does is shows how your money circulates around and it comes right back around to you. But each, you know, each point on that, uh, excuse me, the just arrived. 
Thank you. Uh, so each point on that wheel, somebody's charging percentages. So just so, hold on one second before you go on, and I, I want to make sure that our listeners are catching this. So essentially, what you just illustrated for us is that we are paying to borrow our own money. And, absolutely. And you're about to take it to we pay interest on our own money. Right. Right. Uh, each one of those intermediaries is charging a fee. And so all they're doing is servicing your money, which comes around that wheel back to you. Now, the gap there is that we do not own insurance companies. We have uh, maybe one or two very small uh, insurance companies like North Carolina Mutual and uh, another insurance company that's still surviving down in Atlanta, but they are pretty much a rounding error when it comes to assets. Mm -hmm. uh, the same thing, uh, we do not own any pension funds. And these are the big gorillas that pretty much have all the money. Pretty much uh, they're the ones that uh, fund much of the uh, both commercial and personal lending. So the money ends up in their coffers and they get their money from you. So uh, basically uh, that's the point. Uh, we don't, that's, we don't control any of these companies and nor do we control any of the big money center banks and our our small black banks is where we're losing them because they can't compete with the larger banks. Uh, the only way that our smaller black banks are going to survive is that we have to uh, be able to control and get more capital into the money wheel that benefits us. And, and basically, so do we do we accomplish that by doing more business with black banks? Is, is that basically the simple answer to that? I think my, my computer is uh, slowing at one point, but could you repeat what you said? Yes, absolutely. So I was saying, so is the simple answer to that, that we need to do more banking with black banks in order to empower them to be better competitors in the wheel actually that's not the that's kind of the myth that's the myth what we need to do is establish a uh secondary market and that means we have to have places where our black banks can sell to organizations or financial uh corporations that in turn can fund them and we can fund that financial intermediary. In other words, we need to have insurance companies. We need to have pension funds that we control, or we need to establish our own fund, which means that, uh, call it, uh, I was uh, talking to many people about a one fund. A one fund is where uh, people can invest a dollar if they have very modest means 
if they are a little better off, they can put in $10, but something beginning with a one. And then the fund in turn would uh, fund uh, our businesses. Uh, we have a lot of athletes out here who could give more, uh, more to the fund or invest in the fund, uh, either a thousand, ten thousand, or a hundred thousand. Now the fund would in turn pay interest back to the investors. Not only would it make some of that uh, income from its operations available to fund scholarships for students interested in the securities markets are. Uh, securities law because we are vastly unrepresented represented in that area. So that is the big hole. If we can find a way to fill that hole, then we complete our cycle. Most of the other cultures have done that. Uh, the Koreans, the Jewish, and the uh, uh, even the Hispanics are now uh, uh, bringing their capital together and then loaning that uh, to within their communities. So we need to catch up. Uh, right now, we're so far behind the eight ball. I mean, J.P. Morgan Chase singularly has more money, 10 times the amount of money of all the black banks put together. Wow. Uh, Walmart uh, has cash flow that is uh, dwarfs all the minority businesses put together. Now, these are just one company. And, uh, you know, although we talk about how we have the economy of the 10th largest nation in the world, we don't capture it. And I, I know last week you talked about uh, the money stays in our neighborhood for six six hours. Right. Mm -hmm. So has there ever been a time historically where we did own, have these pension funds and we did have these insurance companies? We're looking at Black Wall Street. Okay. We had black banks, but the circle was much smaller then. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we had banks there. We had all of the... Uh, businesses that we used and part of it was that we didn't have any choice. The mm -hmm. uh, majority business wouldn't accept us. So we had to develop our own. Right. Now, that's not to say that, you know, we can survive on our own because sometimes you have to use what's in place till you can develop your own. So is there like a time frame in terms of how long it takes to get that established? Is it five years? Is it a generation? Um, what do you foresee if, say, for example, just the five of us decide we're going to do it? Will it be 2020? Is it 2030? I think it can be done in five to ten years with the commitment of people. And, you know, here again, it's each one teach one or it's raising funds for awareness. Our, one of our chief problems in our community is just, we're just not aware of how money works. So we, uh, we sometimes look past 
developing these facilities for ourselves. So I want to I want to build on that because you sound like you know you're well versed on this topic, right? How often does this conversation come up in your circle? It comes up quite a bit, but there's a lot of reservation and fear that you know we have in terms of well, are we going to upset the money setter banks? Are they going to cut us off? Are you know? We have to work closely with them. And if we're going the other way, you know, are they going to pull back from us? Well, I say it really doesn't matter because in the last uh, five to 10 years, we've been losing black banks at an alarming rate. We've been losing money in our uh, 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 investment houses at the tune of about 20%. So, the problem is, is that we are not, we're not gaining anything and we're sort of at a standstill. And if you're at a standstill in business, you're moving backwards mm-hmm. because most other things are moving ahead. That's okay. the problem. So amongst your circle, you see that and you're losing, you, you know, you're losing ground. Who is it that you're looking to, to help build this? Because the concept seems very tangible. However, it it hasn't become, you know, physically, you know, I can't tell, we haven't seen that yet. You know, we don't have any of these insurance companies. We don't have any of these pension funds. How is it that it hasn't come to be within that, within that sector? Well, one is lack of talent. You know, we need to develop our talent more. Uh, We have people who work for pensions. We have people who work for insurance companies, but they need to, start using that talent and coming together in sort of a think tank Mm -hmm. so that we can capture that talent and then start in the plenary stage. Now, the other part of that is capital. Mm -hmm. Now, we have a lot of uh, high earners, uh, especially our athletes. You know, Mm -hmm. there are a ton of those. And the sad thing about our athletes is that after five years, a good majority of them are broke. Mm-hmm. You know, there's been a lot written at, about why athletes go broke. Well, part of that is that they're kind of a captive individual by their managers. And their managers are the ones that when they sign these guys, they tell them they have to use their investment advisors. advisors. They tell them that They're the ones that have to use their uh, realtors. They have to use their bankers, you know, so they're captive. And basically they live on a portion of their money. I mean, there's no reason in the world uh, some of these athletes who have these $100 million contracts should be broke in five years. Right. Somewhere there's a problem in management and asset generation. Mm-hmm. and preservation agreed and, and we know that that's part of that is about educating people about money right yeah. and a lot of these athletes uh i think it's safe to say they don't come from money so they don't know what it is to manage it invest it because they didn't see their parents do that in some cases right probably you, a majority you're of absolutely right 
many of the athletes come from one parent homes and as they're growing up, you know, everything around them that represents money is usually those images they see on TV. Right. And they begin to actually resent those images as a kid because they hate the people and what the people who have that money do to them. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, but, but when they get into high school, then the, and they show some talent, then the, those colleges and those investors start seeing them on the radar. And then they start helping out their, their relatives because of uh, NCAA rules. You know, they find ways to uh, help the relatives. And then when they get into college, it becomes more aggressive. Right. And then by the time they're at the uh, point where they're possibly going to get a pro contract, the uh, managers are telling them, well, look, I have lunch with so-and-so and uh, his wife knows my wife. And uh, these are the white uh, 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 representatives and many of the black representatives can't give that same kind of connection. And uh, guys like Everett Glenn, all those guys kind of fell off the radar because they couldn't compete. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, shout out to uh, Worth, Worth Winning. Uh, that's a financial advisor, Lauren Williams, uh, Olympic athlete. Uh, that's exactly what she specializes in is mm-hmm. uh, helping athletes with their with their finances. So shout out to Lauren, uh, who's been a guest here before. So it, it's it it amazes me um, that that education and that awareness is not there. We talk so much about promoting black business, supporting black business, um, but you're the first person that I can say I've ever heard talk about the insurance companies and pension funds. And it's just, it's almost like mind blowing to think that we don't have something set up where this is happening. And there has to be a reason, like it's almost like it's being suppressed that that's a part of the puzzle that's missing. But that's the, that's the crux of the puzzle. You know, the pension funds are actually, huge insurance companies. There's about $20 trillion out there. And uh, it's, it's just amazing that we look right past the fact that that's where all the control is. Because yeah. they're the ones that fuel all the ancillary investment businesses. Hmm. And they're the gorilla in the back room. Yeah, it, 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 yeah right. It, it's almost like that's that's the best kept secret. Mm. And it's not until you get to to a different level of where you see things and know people in the industry that can tell you, hey, these are the pieces similar to how you have for us. Of hey, here's a piece that you all didn't talk about. That's a key to unlocking a whole lot of what you're talking about. Because if we were to establish those pension funds and those insurance companies. Now you have people that can kind of divert those dollars towards other things like businesses that we want to open, uh, probably more suitable mortgages for people that want to buy homes. So it, I, wow. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but um, I'm definitely like, wow, 
how how between all of us we've never even thought of this mm-hmm. or heard anybody else say it. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm trying to find. I'm trying to understand the gap in between an individual within the community going to buy a home and actually getting to the point of creating the pension fund to see kind of how do you minimize the context Um, because it seems from the will that the more people that are in the middle, the more fees that are charged and servicing the money. So is it possible to circumvent Wall Street and all of that and go directly to the pension fund? Or does the process just not allow for that to happen? It it does. We would have to, you know, work with uh, helping to establish our own. There are already out there, but they're small broker dealers, you know, companies like Shank and Silver and uh, Sturt Event. We have brokerage companies out there, but they just don't have the clout and the amount of capital to do what, you know, is needed to be done. Uh, They, in turn, have to invest our money that we give them into the major markets because we don't own insurance companies that can handle our money. We don't own pensions. So that's where the money then gets siphoned off and goes out away from our community. So, I mean, think about it. A mortgage. There's there's like 10 houses on the block and the average house is what? Four or $500,000. Or if it's 300, depending on the location. But each side of that street probably has at least a million dollars in mortgages. And those things are probably where we hurt most because all that those mortgages, if you have four sides on a block, that's $4 million on one block. Mm-hmm. And then you go across the street and then you start looking in our own community, there are billions of dollars in uh, mortgage assets mm-hmm. that are sold off and uh, we don't get a percentage of that no. back, but it's our money that fuels that cycle. Exactly. Because the workers are the ones that put their money in pensions. Uh, most rich people have their self, you know, their, their money is in other vehicles mm-hmm. and uh, because they don't work. Mm-hmm. You know, they run businesses. Uh, you have, um, we buy insurance. They self-insure in many cases. Yeah, when you have the money and and, and the the finances to be able to do that, that's how that's how it rolls, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so excellent, excellent conversation. Uh, I want to change directions a little bit, uh, mm-hmm. but before we do, Faison, I want you to go ahead and drop that uh, that uh, that sponsor for this week. Yeah, I just want to say that today's episode is brought to you by um, Compro Tax Cleveland. Uh, if you want to get your taxes filed, we uh, hey. they do individual, small business, corporations, and nonprofit uh, free filing and direct deposit. Um, if you want to contact them today, it is uh, comprofinancial at gmail.com. That is C-O-M-P-R-O-F-I-N-A-N-C-I-A-L at gmail.com. Or you can reach them at 216-282-4873. There it is, Compro Financial, baby. Go get them taxes done, get that refund before the government shut down. Um, <laughs> GC, I got a question for you. Um, you have a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience. So my first question is, how long have you been CEO of Banneker Corp, or Banneker Financial Services? Well, we started Banneker in 1984. 
Okay. So 1984, right? And it's 2019. What does your younger millennial employee, uh, that, that, that human capital within your organization, what does that look like? Well, we don't have a lot of younger millennial people. Mm -hmm. uh, part of that was due to the crash of 2007. Yep, it hit me hard. Yeah, we had 13 people at one time. <laughs> <laughs> and it hit everyone hard. But, you know, that was one of the great destroyers of black wealth. Mm -hmm. Because we couldn't control the lending process. We couldn't control the you know, the money cycle. So they pushed all these mortgages on us, mm -hmm. uh, adjustable rates and high rate mortgages. Mm -hmm. And then they took a hike on us. Right. Uh, they and say none of them went to jail, but we suffered 50% slashes in our property value and asset value. And that's if you were able to keep your home. If you were able to keep your home. You're absolutely right. So the premise of my question is because, uh, or is, with all of this knowledge and experience and this, this great company, who, are, who, who is your succession plan? Or how do you work up that young, fair-haired youth within the organization to start building that infrastructure? And the reason I ask you is because last week we had a conversation about the infrastructure within our communities and being able to take advantage of opportunities um, or providing opportunities for our, our, our people to learn, grow and develop and to own businesses or to help build up our community in the manner in which we spoke into tonight. So I wanna see how you specifically see yourself in that role at your, at your company or corporation. Well, I try to recruit people to uh, get licenses mm -hmm. to enter the industry. The more people we have in the industry is gives us more foundation and capability. Mm -hmm. um, we have lost over the years, uh, Series 7, uh, people who are able to trade on Wall Street or have the experience in how to structure and develop things like mortgage-backed securities, how to work with tranches. In other words, how this money actually flows through the cycle. So. Uh, I try to recruit people uh, to uh, come into the insurance industry or come into the uh, mortgage banking industry or come into the uh, and get their licenses so that they can, you know, begin to train and get experience and carry that ball forward. Now, a lot of, uh, a lot of our communities figure that, well, we don't, we don't have enough money to support these people. So they, they feel they're not going to make money. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, it's a knowledge base that has to, you know, also be taught in our communities that we have to support people in the investment in industry. They know just as much as the next guy at Merrill Lynch. Mm -hmm. They know just as much as the next guy at, uh, you know, J.P. Morgan. Mm -hmm. So we have to begin to t have confidence in our people. Um, that's going to be a, a, a slow route. But if our athletes would just invest or use our financial advisors, that would in turn help them survive in the industry and uh, uh, perpetuate 
and improve the knowledge we have to help develop these uh, secondary markets that we need so badly. Is it possible that with the, I know you mentioned the athletes and kind of their support going through their managers a couple of times. Is yeah. it possible to kind of look at that as an additional kind of a, a way to redirect wealth by getting more minorities or African-American males, females involved as sports agents to create their own agencies? Yeah, we know, you know, six points of separation. Most of us, some of us know guys we grew up with or girls, women we grew up with that are athletes. And we need to start talking to them about these concepts on rethinking and where they're putting their money. Because first of all, most of them use the mainstream advisors. I had a friend who uh, worked for uh, Merrill Lynch and one of the athletes came in with his manager and he was the only African-American in the firm and they walked right by his desk and gave the business to this young uh, uh, European guy. Mm -hmm. So, hmm. you know, he was barely making enough to survive and all the training and all the effort he had to go through, you know, that athlete couldn't say to his manager, wait a minute, let me get a minute to talk to this guy here. Right. You know, so it happens over and over again. And that's why uh, the, the advisors that are uh, African or minority people of color where we're moving out of the industry at alarming rates. People are dropping their sevens, they're dropping their sixes, because if you work for Merrill Lynch, they tell you you have to bring in X amount of dollars. You have to have X amount of book. If you don't make that book, they get rid of you. Mm -hmm. And because in our community, we don't have people who can drop 100,000 or 250,000. If you look at the net worth scale, you know, just, just things like that, where the net worth of a black family might be $10,000, the net worth of the average white family is 250. So, I mean, the gap is just so wide that it, it's absolutely astounding. But if we don't begin to invest or use our advisors or use our bankers, then we're, we're not going to be able to generate the type of experience and individuals who want to go into those professions because they say, well, <laughs> I see guys, you know, he, he isn't making any money, you know, why, you know, I'll do something else where I can get immediate money. Mm -hmm. and that's, that's part of the problem. So I, I want to throw in and ask two questions. Um, if you don't mind, Sure. Uh, one for our listeners. So our listeners are, some are very educated on this topic and some are here to learn about these topics. Um, I'm obviously one of uh, both sides. You were mentioning sevens and sixes. So for our users, can you explain what those two numbers are as far as their certifications, I believe? Yeah. Uh, the uh, series, these are uh, FINRA, our Financial in Industry uh, Regulation Authority designations. It's like a license to be a lawyer. Um, the six allows you to do insurance, annuities, mutual funds, uh, 
it allows you to do uh, basically uh, if you put a 63, which is another designation in secu uh, uh, what they call state law, you can put that with your six and you can, you know, sell bonds and uh, mutual, other mutual funds that uh, invest in bonding. Now, the seven allows you to trade stocks. Okay. And that requires uh, an additional level of understanding uh, the uh, securities industry. Um, you're able to handle different types of products, you know, the uh, commodities market. So it, it gives you entree into those markets, whereas at a sixth level, you would not have that entree into those markets. So you're going to see far fewer blacks at the seven level, seven level as you would, uh, you're going to see more at the sixth level. Got it. And so, so with that question, and we spoke a lot about athletes and the larger, the larger wallet um, mm. person, how can we get that same message down to the high school kids or the college kids who are going to school who actually can benefit from that you know, $50, $100, $200 minimum deposit? Because right. I believe the fear uh, or the lack of knowledge is that they need more money to invest and they don't know where to start. So how do they get to that point saying you can start small to work up to that large wallet? Right. And that's, that's a very good point because most young people have what we call disposable income. You know, they get money from various part-time jobs. They get money from their parents. And, you know, it's not unusual for a high school kid to blow $100 a month. Mm-hmm. But occasionally you see those stories where a young high school child, uh, 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 young person puts, starts putting that money away or even starts his own little venture or business. And next thing you know, by the time he goes to college, he has four, five, six, ten thousand dollars $10,000 stashed mm -hmm. away that he got from just both learning how to invest money Mm -hmm. and having a return on his money. And the other thing that uh, young people don't get, a, you know, they don't know that they can buy a life insurance product and have a judgment proof. No one can uh, attach that money. If you put your money in the bank, that money is exposed. They can be sued for it if they get into trouble or whatever. But if you put it in a life insurance policy, or some kind of insurance product, you can borrow against that and be your own bank and pay yourself back. But a lot of these techniques are not taught in high school because A, who goes to public school? Most of your, most of your urban city. Exactly. And capitalism de depends on an underclass of people who use the services of the wealthy. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's not in their interest to teach them how money works. Because so that's the beginning of how we start taking control of our own financial destiny. And that's a great point. So how can we reach out to, to those, um, those six and seven, say, hey, come speak to 
you know, the students here, come to the community center, come to the, the PAL, come to the, the YMCA, and let's not focus on the sport today, but we're going to teach you about some financial education um, mm -hmm. that you can start with. How do we get in touch with those people? And are they willing to come out for that $50, $20, $40 deposit in their larger portfolio? Right. There's not really organized. Uh, there, there's, I think, in the district, they have the National Association of uh, Stock uh, Dealers. Um, and uh, that is one place to go. Um, I can probably get the, the exact name, but many of the uh, uh, securities professionals are members of that. Okay. Uh, that's one place. Um, the, uh, many of the, uh, black insurance agents have series sixes or sevens. Very few have sevens, but many of them have sixes and they can also talk about the industry. Um, also there are a lot of opportunities for young people who are 18 and older and have clean records. Uh, that's another area where they keep us out because as soon as you get a ding on your record, mm -hmm. uh, you pretty much are sort of blackballed in the industry. Mm. And so you have to keep your record clean. But if you want to work, you can work in the summers and after school, you know, when these college kids need money, they can go out and have an insurance license, work part-time and make some serious money and they're off, off, uh, you know, during their breaks during the summer, and this, these are are types of income that bear residual to them. So, the more they keep building it, the more it keeps going on and on. So, it's it's an actual ex excellent opportunity and industry for them to go into, or even use it as a part time uh, asset builder. Cool. Nice. So what type of background does someone need to get into this industry? You can get into this industry with a high school diploma. But the more you know, in other words, if you go to college and you major in finance or take a lot of accounting courses, that makes you stronger. Okay. It gives you a better financial base. But a high school diploma, you can get a, an insurance license. Wow. Hey, man. I'm sure that's not what most people would think. Most people would probably think you need some type of advanced degree. Mm -hmm. right. right, right. And, and that's, the, that's another myth. Uh, you don't have to have a college degree to get a securities license. Oh, you just need the training. It's all, it, it sounds yeah. more like a trade than anything. And if you get the right apprentice, apprenticeship and exactly. you with it, you're able to, you know, ascend through the ranks. It's right great. on point. Yes. Exactly. Great, great stuff, man. Amazing conversation, man. I definitely love all the gems you dropped on the show. Um, if our listeners in the Maryland area or other otherwise wanted to get in contact with you or uh, contact you for, about your services at Banneker Corps, how can they go about doing so? Uh, they can contact me at uh, 202. I don't know if you have a way of posting it. Uh, 202-277-9154 and you have my email address 
Yeah, yeah. email at uh, G Clark. Right. Bannekercore.com. That's B N N E K E R C O R P.com. Right. Now, they, the way they remember that is like Benjamin Banneker, who's actually, most people don't know, was one of the first people to do the sale leaseback transaction in land. So he was far ahead of his times when it comes to uh, financing and getting deals done. Wow. Wow. Well, there it is, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we got a couple segments that we got to hit before we get up out of here. But make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Um, you can catch the video on YouTube and Vimeo and follow us on all of our social media platforms at 13 Floor Please on your Instagram and Facebook. Uh, on. what you got for us this week, man, in the corner? So this, this corner is going to be talking on, um, on Valentine's and love. So I got two topics, two different sides of the street we're going to talk about. So the first is, um, you know, uh, taking a look at your truths. So as you're, in, you're married uh, together in a relationship, wherever you are in that possibility, take a second and look at it for what it is. Don't compare yourself to someone else's story because that book inside of it is totally different. So just step back and enjoy what you have. Make sure what you're doing is right by your partner, by yourself, and you'll have a lasting relationship. But once you compare it to others, all your rocks are to fall out of your bag. So, so focus on you. But then on the other side, um, you know, you have to have the courage and the strength to be able to walk away when it's not right. It's okay to be single in order to find the most important, self, most, most important person, which is you. Take a time to look at yourself and say, is this right for me? And if it's not, I can walk away. But if it is right for me, enjoy it, love it, and be right for yourself. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Single Awareness Day <laughs> for all of those out there. Single Awareness Day. Let's get it. <laughs> Coach K, man, you got to take us home, baby. Man, I don't know how you want me to follow that. that <laughs> you always find a way. That love and self-love to just happen. Uh -huh. uh, really and truly, uh, I think the biggest takeaway today is the gap. There are many things that people want to do, you wonder about, or you assume that you cannot do. And my advice to you this week is to go out there and get the information or the knowledge. Find the people that have it so that you can span that gap and get to that thing that you think is not for you, that is absolutely meant for you if you're willing to put in the time and find the resources to do it. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. GC, thank you again for joining us here on the 13th thank floor, you. man. We definitely appreciate all of that. But that's it, ladies and gentlemen. We're thank done you here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Anytime, man. We hope to have you back. Our pleasure. Definitely. Well, that's it, ladies and gentlemen. We're done here on the 13th floor where the furniture isn't always the best, but the views are amazing. The 13th floor. The 13th floor. floor.